Hello people, welcome to this beautiful garden in Wales that's on this property, this ancient Airbnb I'm staying at, or I'm working at, with World Packers. I'm staying here for free, guys. It's amazing, it's like a castle. Beautiful garden. Uh, look guys, I'll be honest. I'm concussed, I'm injured. I, uh, look, see this in my eyes? See the black eyes? Got in a bar fight. Guy said that America wasn't the greatest country on the goddamn planet and I had to really give him some American muscle and steel, you know? No, that did not happen. I, working on this farm, or I'm working on this B&B, like I said, being a little Consuela, I'm like their cleaning lady. I clean the rooms between guests. And uh, like I said, this place was made in the 1500s, so the doorways are very short. I am very tall. And I just cracked my head on one of the doorways. So, had to take the L. I'm out of commission for the next two or three days. I can't do anything. Uh, which is a real shame, because it's the weekend and we're in this beautiful country on this beautiful day. And I'm just, I'm just here. <laughs> but no worries, no worries. Today we have another great podcast episode. I am a huge fan of this episode. Today we sat down with a friend John. He was working on our moto farm in Ireland with all those old guys riding their bikes across Europe. <clears throat> this guy is a legend. He's been traveling nonstop for like the last 35, 40 years. Absolutely mad, man. Uh, he rode his bike across the world already once. Uh, and now he's about to complete his second trip around the world, this time on a motorcycle. The man's a nut job. He rode his bike all the way from Alaska to the southern tip of Argentina many, many moons ago. Um, he's worked on ski slopes in Europe for years. Like I think he worked in Germany for like three years <clears throat> on this one little ski slope. And uh, he's been to a lot of like off the beaten track places. Like he went to Berlin right after the Berlin Wall came down. Like I think it was like 91 or 92 or I can't remember what year. I'm not the best with history, but he went right after that. Uh, where else? He went to Colombia in like the early 2000s before. It was any kind of a trendy spot to go. It was actually still quite dangerous. I don't want to give away his stories. He's got some amazing stories. Um, and then we kind of end the podcast with him expressing maybe potentially some regrets about the travel he's done. Um, I don't want to speak for the man. I'll let the episode speak for itself. Anyways, guys, hope you enjoy the episode. Remember, please support me on Patreon. I'm trying to make a trip from Ireland to Japan, and I have very little money, so any bit would help. Thanks very much. I'll post a link in the bio, and uh, let's get to it. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, it's usually like, you know what Patreon is? Patreon? It's like a subscription service. Oh. So like people will pay by the month oh. for like exclusive videos and stuff, okay. but yeah. How long have you been traveling, dude? Since 1983. Damn. So whatever that adds up to be. Almost 40 years. Yeah. How old were you when you, when you left originally? Left the United States there in 1983, so let's see, I'm, what am I, 67, oh, I'll be 68 this summer, and I uh, have to use some math to figure that out. I think I was like about 30, 29 I think when I left. Wow. 
if I remember right. Moved well, to Garmisch, Germany, became a ski instructor, and then started bike touring. Nice. How long were you in Germany for before you left there? Six years. Jesus, bro. Why did you leave in the first Taught place? Taught skiing in the winter, and then I started bike touring in the summer just locally and got to like it, and I just kind of kept going further and further, and yeah. it got to a point where I just had to quit work to go around the world. Nice. Or just to go all through Europe. So you're able to save money when you worked on, on the slopes? A little bit, but I end up getting a, a good summer job for a couple summers there working as a sports director, and that helped save some money. Mm. Nice, bro. Why did you leave in the first place? Um, To go bike touring. I just, uh, just started falling in love with it. Exploring. No, the U.S.? Oh, the U.S. Yeah. Um, I had a friend that was already over there in Germany teaching skiing. He, he said, come on over. And I was getting a little, I'd already been four years at Steamboat Springs. I was just starting to get a little tired and ready for a change. And the ski school director happened to, he had been in Garmisch, Germany years ago. And he kicked me out the door and says, go for it. This is your opportunity. <laughs> but, so you worked at a ski school in, well, like Colorado? Yeah. Okay. So you're just a ski bum already. Yeah. Yeah, I've been teaching off and on for 20 years. Back before the COVID hit, I was teaching skiing out in Tahoe area. Oh, geez. California. Nice. So that's how you like got on the road. Was like, oh, I could just go teach skiing anywhere and go to Germany. Yeah. Because growing up in Nebraska, I never even been out of the state of Nebraska. Growing up the first eighteen years until I got into college, and then sports started to get me traveling for games outside of the state. And then, um, oh, I took a class called outdoor winter creation, which included going uh, snow skiing in Colorado for a week. And I thought, whoa, this is fun. So nice. after I graduated from college and taught two years, I didn't like teaching indoors that much. I liked being outdoors. I thought, I'm going to move to Colorado and learn how to ski and become a ski instructor. Nice. Yeah, it's a big change from Nebraska, Colorado. Yeah, right. Huge. Jeez. And then I started meeting international people right there at the ski slopes and started learning about other parts of the world. Yeah. And that's what kind of opened my horizons. Because I've, even growing up, you know, I, you read about Europe, well, it'd be a neat place to go visit, but I never envisioned it happening until I moved to Colorado. Yeah, especially, that was during the Cold War, right? Yeah. So you went to Germany, like, when half of it was still communist. Yeah. So but probably, it like, not a... But I was a long ways away from the border, so it really didn't affect... But did people view Germany as like an international destination like they do now? Like now it's like a very luxurious... It was kind of in the 90s when I was back there. 80s, it was more... No, the, well, the more, it was more for the local tourists, the Germans. The northern Germans would come down to Garmisch, Germany, because it was kind of tourist capital year-round mm. for the snow skiing in the winter and mountain climbing, rock climbing in the summer, yeah. or hiking. <clears throat> I heard the Germans are really active. Yeah. yeah, especially down south. It's just funny. Like I feel like now like it's kind of like a fashionable thing to travel long-term, but I feel like back then, was it... Like still sought after kind of it, like it was kind of yeah even in the 80s because germany really push pushes vacation you know they get four weeks off a year and their mm. work week is shorter than ours and uh, they that. they really encourage kids to get out and explore right after they graduate from high school between that and their college this is their big opportunity so they really encourage travel there yeah so i meet a lot of the youth hostels are just full in the summer mm. but i mean kids. from the u.s like did you know people who were traveling abroad and like because now we have instagram you can see people like going abroad and like yeah. doing this and that no, and i didn't know much except for that one person that had already been in garmish that uh, said come on over which was one of my best friends and it's funny on the airplane i met two three other guys that were going to garmish too so we just pulled together and tried to figure out how to get on the u-bahn didn't know a word of german to get down to garmish it was an adventure oh my gosh Jeez. and the and this 
Lee guy. He was. He, I'm going to visit him now in Garmisch. He was one of my, one of my best friends. So. You're going to visit him on this trip. Yeah. Oh damn, bro. So it's full circle. Be a neat reunion. Yeah. In fact, it's <clears throat> such a neat clientele of people that have been in and out of there over the years. They have reunions like every couple years now. Now, if it's just if I happen to hit a reunion where my kind of like classmates time zone would be, but but he lives there and he's like the head of the recreation department now. Nice. And this guy was a pothead when we we're skiing, and they were like, oh, how many women they could have during the ski season? That was a competition with him and another guy, and we we're in this four big. Oh, we're in the old hospitals where they put us up at, and uh, an old four, hospital. Yeah, and the women stayed in the old mortuary. It's part of the army, the U.S. Army base because we taught for the american forces huh wait wait american forces who yeah because in germany there were a lot of a lot of military in germany back in the 80s 70s and 80s and it started to filter out in the 90s because then they started closing down but in the 80s um there was um a lot of military bases and right in garmish was a recreation base it was called the armed forces recreation center where mm. people a lot of the military people would come down and learn how to ski that's what my job was teaching the families how to ski mm. and they even had one sec sector where they just taught the active military how to cross-country ski backcountry ski up in the mountains and they'd be gone for a whole week and it was still part of the military regime that's like really official actually mm -hmm. and you guys were just getting high like some of them were. girls. Yeah. <laughs> teaching the fucking U.S. Army. Yeah. <laughs> That's legendary, bro. Yeah. And the FRC is still there, and it's still open, but it's really downsized because Germany doesn't have many American forces there anymore. A lot of them moved down to Italy and then over to the Middle East. And... Yeah. Wow, what a contrast between, like, ski bums just fucking around, fucking girls, and then, like, the most straight-edge guys on the planet, like the U.S. Army. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. But they just, they just, the military just loved that week of skiing, just to let loose and have fun and get drunk every night. And Oh, they party too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when they get their opportunity, they go all out. So they, they would come in late the next morning for ski lessons. Yeah, just reeking of And they would bite us down, so, you know, we'd be right with them too. Jesus, man. And then it was... Oh, the camaraderie were actually we developed good friendships. I mean, still have addresses of some of the people that I taught lessons to. And we have a big ceremony party on Friday night at the end of their ski week, and it was awesome. Bro. We exchanged gifts. And, Legendary. Yeah. I just want to make sure this is recording. Oh, yeah, it's good. Um, no, I heard, uh, like, I know guys out in Utah and Colorado and stuff, like, I think the ski bum thing is, like, kind of catching on you know it's like pretty popular well, that's, like it's been that way for decades i mean even more so in the old days mm. yeah i was telling you i think i know a guy or i've heard of opportunities like on ski slopes where you can do what we're doing here basically like you volunteer and then you just stay for free do they yeah. have that over here overseas too i'm, gonna I'm look not in, really the guy i'm to gonna ask, look honestly. into it yeah yeah i think they let you ski for free yeah, it's just like Good. bring your own. Well, in. if you're employed, you get to ski for free. Yeah, know? yeah. And if you volunteer, you get a pass. Oh, okay. Now we do too in America. That's sick, bro. That's the only way we can afford it. Our slow-income people. Ski you bumps. have to work. <laughs> and there's all kinds of jobs. I mean, a foreigner, they invite a lot of foreigners because Americans. There's not enough Americans working some of the like ski lift operators and working on the snow making and stuff like that. They need mm. people. Nice. And the hotels and the restaurants. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge it infrastructure. Huge. Yeah. I mean, they hire hundreds of people. 
Didn't you say you worked for the uh, the Olympic Committee in Salt yeah. Lake City? Yeah, that uh, was quite an experience. I always dreamed about going to Olympics and and just to see it. And uh, 2002, I had opportunity. You know what? I am going to go out to Utah and get me a job. I thought it was just going to be a volunteer job because <clears> they hire hundreds of people to help out with all the events and build up to it. And uh, I heard about a job opening on the Nordic ski jump. That's the where you a long jump on Nordic yeah. skis. And I went there and applied, and they hired me right on the spot. And uh, I had a full-time job for the whole winter and getting getting paid to watch the Olympics. <laughs> it's awesome. So you designed the slope? Yeah, we prepared it. Yeah, oh, very cool. I mean, the ramps are already there because they use them in the summer now too. They have this grass where they can actually slide off in the summer and train too, and they go into the water. Oh, um, so you just pack the snow on top? And yeah, made it smooth. that's basically what we do, and make that's the tracks. Sick, bro. And, and the tracks really are they machine made now, and, and then with the landing. And but in the winter, when it snows, it's just a lot of labor, a lot of hand labor, a lot of yeah. scooping. And with your resume, I'm sure they're like, yeah, we got to get this guy. And, um, well, I wasn't a Nordic ski jumper, but I have worked on snow before with the Alpine and setting gates and used to race a little bit, so. Yeah. Nice. And there was a little bit of a connection. There was another guy that had me from Steamboat. And so he didn't know me directly, but he knew somebody that I knew. So. Connections, baby. Yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah, because that's right, because in, in Steamboat Springs, um there's some nordic ski jumps there and i've worked down there before yeah so. it's cool when you can like turn like being a ski bum like practically homeless into like a, a official yeah. olympic job that's pretty amazing <laughs> i've actually been thinking about trying to find a, a summer olympics to go to and work and i missed out on the atlanta um, summer olympics because i was overseas traveling at that time and i could have got on with the baseball maintenance because I one of my teammates from college was running that he was actually the manager of the uh, grooming the ball fields for the Olympic Dude. team I thought, darn ah uh, well there's more Olympics I mean yeah, uh, the last like, one was in what China something like that or, or Korea, Korea China or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. yeah, you could do it still you might yeah. not have the same connections but yeah yeah you got a hell of a resume <laughs> thank you so after um Germany where did you go you were there for That's six years. <clears throat> yeah, well, let's see, that first time around, yeah, it was six years total because I worked at another nearby base called Bad Eimlim, which was a communications base. But after those six years, and really, well, we were pump. I, a friend of mine, we were pumping iron one day, and he'd already been around the world once on a bicycle, and he says, and we were going, oh, I was on the bench, and he goes to me, you're going to be my next partner around the world. And I thought he was crazy. But he planted a seed in my head and that's when I started taking longer bicycle trips because it's just gorgeous in Germany just going out and biking the back roads mm -hmm. just like you're in Ireland and uh, after those six years uh, it's time to go I gotta just go for it I can't wait for anybody because that guy had already been long gone oh he left without you yeah because he left this was like in the early stages it wasn't like at the end of the six years it was like only like right. two years so you didn't do this here. as like a long-term i hadn't planned thing it. you were like no. i'm just gonna go to germany for a few years and then come home like well that. i was gonna yeah travel the countries of western europe and then finish and then um yeah i didn't know if i was going back to work or go back to the u.s but then i started meeting other people from down under from australia new zealand they gave down me their under. addresses you gotta come down and visit us wow. so it turned into a year so I did all the countries. I biked from basically, well, I started in Garmisch, Germany, and Austria, and Switzerland, and went all the way up to Scandinavia and crossed over all those three countries, and then headed all the way down to um, Italy, switched over to um, 
uh, Yugoslavia at that time, and then all the way down to Greece. I had an invite for Thanksgiving dinner I had to make. So Thanksgiving in Greece? Yeah, it was through, again, through, uh, it was actually a Greek family, but they had worked for the American military. There's a little military base down there in Greece, uh. too. So he invited, they invited me in to rest up a little bit before I headed down to Southeast Asia, and I went to an island called Koh Samui in Thailand. Yeah, it's famous now. Is it? Oh yeah, there's a huge party there. Okay. It's called a full moon party. It's and, like every full and, moon they have this huge festival. Some of my festival. friends had a had a, they had bungalows there. And in fact, they one guy one family or a couple I mean bought a bungalow there. And they said you got to come down here for Christmas and New Year's. This is great. Everybody meets there. And so you it goes like this festival, then it just grew. Yeah. Well, I mean, Th dude, Thailand is a huge backpacker spot now. Like drugs like alcohol girls like it's a huge party mm. place for western tourists mm -hmm. yeah so you biked from but northern I, but europe I landed to... but i from greece i flew to oh, i actually yeah. flew to india to Bangladesh, down to um, um bangkok yeah. but my bike disappeared and it never you flew it over yeah i was going to fly it with me because I, I thought it was going to be loaded on the athens or the plane in athens greece yeah but when I got down to Bangkok, it didn't show up. And uh-oh. Well, actually, you know, I even checked in Bangladesh. I, um, I don't know why, but I went down. Oh, I had to switch planes there. So I figured mm -hmm. I need to get my bike, and then I need to make sure manually gets loaded on the next plane. I go down there underneath there, the airport, and it's a huge pile of luggage. You just throw it in a pile. <laughs> I thought if my bicycle's under there, it's I'll fucked. never find it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thought, oh, my gosh. And I looked and looked, and there were some other bikes around the perimeter, and mine wasn't there. And, and then I had to catch the flight, so I went on down to Bangkok, filed a report for it. And 10 days later, it was found. Air India shipped it down for me, and I thought, I thought my trip was over. Nice. And so then you just continued biking So then there. I biked from Bangkok, you know, of course, Koh Samui, and after that all the way down to Singapore, and then flew to New Zealand and Australia while I was summer down there. That was my goal. Mm. Nice. So then you made it all the way across the world on that one trip? Around the world, yeah. Then I hit some of the Pacific Islands on the way home, so I did kind of a more of an easterly, east to west trip. Or yeah, west -east and then what, trip. you took a, took a flight to where? Like from the Pacific Islands, where'd you go? Well, back to Los. Did I fly? I flew into Los Angeles. I had friends there to stay with, and and then you biked home from there. Yeah, back to Nebraska. Mm. But that was a nice ride, the Western U.S. Because mm -hmm. then you stop in the boring part of the country. You don't have to go through it. I hitched you know? a little bit too. I was tired. Oh yeah, <laughs> especially through the boring sections. Yeah. Through the desert. I guess that's a good thing about having a bike. You can just hitch it. Yeah. Because on the motorcycle, bro, like yesterday I was out for like 10 hours and I was like, dude, I would do anything to just get off this fucking bike and mm -hmm. lay down. And, yeah. But you and can't. When you're, yeah, you can. I've done it a lot. Well, you have camping gear. Yeah. I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant taking naps during the day. Yeah, I guess I could, but it was late, you know. Uh -huh. I'm, I don't really, I'm not trying to ride the bike at night, bro. Uh, okay. You know, I'm trying to keep it safe yeah. while I'm still a newbie. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Now, the bicycle, it's, in the old days, it was pretty easy to uh, hitch a ride. But today, it's getting tougher because of the liability. Truckers, they can't do it. You still try it? I haven't been biking much lately. I've been on a motorcycle, so. Yeah. The last 10 years, so. I wonder if someone would pick you up with a motorcycle, like if it's broken down or something, like someone with a flatbed. Or... If they have a way to lift it up and if they have the time and yeah. if um, they're not held liable. Yeah, <laughs> and they're a good person. <laughs> you basically have to hire a truck anymore. Yeah. And that gets expensive. 
Because yeah. they used to be in the old days, they could jump ships too, get on a freighter and get across the That's ocean. Sick, have, bro. have you done that? Yeah. And man, there's been a couple of them, man. They whined and dined me. They, I got to sleep in the captain's quarters. I mean, what? whoa. How did well, you find his, that? Not his personal quarters, but a bunk or a room next to it. And um, one I just, I was just asking around and, and found. And another one, a guy lined me up in New Zealand one time. That was a family I was staying with. He knew some. Bro, that's so sick. I bet that would be kind of an intense journey, though, because it's not made for passengers, no, right? It's no. just a bunch of freight and fucking right. big yeah. shipping containers. And... But they were, they were like, excited to have someone different to, to talk to on board. <laughs> yeah. So I got quizzed a lot and a lot of questions. It was so much fun. It was just a hoot. What are those guys doing now? Are they party? They, or? they shipped. They work on shifts, um, mm. running the boat. And, and there's a lot of chores to do morning and night and meals and stuff. And you would help them like, with chores and a stuff? A little bit. One boat I did, the other one wouldn't let me do anything. You're our guest. Wow. You're like a, we treat, they treat me like a king. Where were those guys from? That one was, um, where did I catch that one at? That was actually, um, let's see, that one was down in New Zealand. The other one was up here in um, Denmark to um, Scandinavia. That was just a short one. but So they're just European folks on there? Yeah. Nice. That was fun. Yeah, it sounds like an intense journey. I can't imagine it's very, like nice you know what i mean i, I just imagine like not on lots of oil and like yeah. dark cord corridors See, that's what fucking... happened one on a columbia cargo boat going from panama to, <laughs> to columbia that was a mess oh my goodness yeah tell me about that and you took your bike from mexico to what, yeah Central i rode America? my motorcycle it was on the motorcycle at that time rode from alaska all the way down to um well, as far as you could go in Panama down south, and then we get across the Darien Gap, you know, in Panama oh, yeah. to Colombia to South America, so Central to South America, you get to get get across that Darien Gap. You can't. Well, there's land, but you can't ride through there without getting shot with all the contraband and all the illegal drugs in there. Yeah, and it's like deep gorillas. jungle too, yeah, right? Yeah, and the gorillas, and exactly deep jungle. You have to have a machete to chop your way through. And it's hard to get through there because it overgrows. So people have done it, but a lot of them don't make it. <laughs> oh, shit. There's been some stories. Uh, yeah. yeah, even today you can't do it. Right. You have to freight it. Yeah. So originally, well, I found we found, I hooked up with two other guys, Americans, and we were going to get on this sailboat. And we gave the guy money, and um, he had to do a little repair on the boat, so we gave him a little cash in advance. So we um, figured we could trust this American guy. and uh, But he ended up keeping our money. He took our passports because he needed to go get them stamped for us. We never saw him again. And guy stole us blind. And uh, we found out that the, his boat, he needed to rebuild the motor. He couldn't even get it out to out the bay. And so he disappeared. So, like so, we, a, a so we had to go. Luckily, there was a, uh, a place to consulate, or what do you call it, to go get new passports. It took three weeks to get our new passports. So we were stuck in, in Panama. For an extra three weeks and then we got found this uh well one of the guys spoke pretty good spanish so he found this columbia cargo boat contraband boat they had bringing all the stuff down from mexico and central america and they did all these old greasy engines down below where they put our bikes too and we're and some of them were up above too we had to climb over them to even get to the bathrooms like at the end of the trip we just threw our clothes away it was a mess Jesus and Christ. all these uh Oh, TVs and refrigerators and stoves and boxes. <laughs> Just tax-free. Yeah. You think there was drugs on the boat? Um, we weren't aware of it. Um, yeah, it's probably for the better. <laughs> and so, but they couldn't take us to the Cartagena port. They had to dump us off out into the ocean on these little fin tail boats. 
and they almost dropped uh, the Canadian guy's bike in the water. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and if they drop it, he can't do shit. You know, like, who's he going to complain to? Right. You know? Yeah. So they whipped it with. Uh, Whisked us ashore, and it was a thunderstorm too. It was a perfect movie setting too. And it was thunder and the lightning and pouring down rain. And <laughs> you said and they, they just dropped you on the beach? Yeah. Well, no, they was out on the ocean. They couldn't even go to the beach because they could get caught too oh, easy. Yeah, yeah. And they um, unloaded this stuff onto these little boats and brought it to shore with our motorcycles and everything. <laughs> which our motorcycles end up being last. They did all that. There were trucks yeah. coming and going real fast, and hundreds of little guys just real quickly unloading Jeez. stuff, putting them in the trucks, <laughs> getting them out of there. And then when Hustle they, them, bro. yeah, they were moving. <laughs> and then you know, it took like 20 of those guys to lift our bike out and, and set it in this little fintail boat. <laughs> which was tippy and then to unload it onto the beach jesus christ and then we had to ride the beach and there were down trees and branches and then we At it night, was like two in the morning you know oh. one or two in the morning we come upon this little town we couldn't find anything open to stay so we found this abandoned house that only had part of a roof on and uh and there was water <laughs> down there so like a couple guy well one guy had a hammock so he just put his up and i found some junk to put my tent up on so i get out of the water and just christ. to get a few hours of sleep and then, and then it finally quit raining right in the morning, and we rode our bikes out of there and through the mud holes, and the, oh, it was a mess. And our stuff was all soaked. And, it's probably and, in the middle of fucking nowhere, too, And then too, right? we didn't have, we came in illegally, so we went to the first er, small-town consulate that we could find, and they um, couldn't do anything for us. They said, no, you got to go to, I think it was Cartagena. What did you tell them at the consulate? Um... I'm trying to think what the guy says. We need, where do we get um, um, our passport stamped? So we're officially in. But, uh, but what, they, what was your story, though, to the consulate? We couldn't do it there. Um, I'm trying to think back to that. I'd have to think back to that. But the story is we had to go to Cartagena, and they wanted to deport us, yeah, because we came in there lately. Yeah, of course. I mean, and there, what year was this? This was in 19, or 2003. Okay. When we so Columbia's still not the greatest place at this point. And, uh, yeah, and so, um, well, like one of the, one of my friends, there was three of us, and the one guy, he spoke good Spanish, so he sweet-talked this lady, and at least given us a temporary, like a one or two week, and then we had to go to another province where we could get officially checked in. Hmm. That was close call. Yeah, thank God. I mean, because we could have got deported and yeah. sent us back to. If you're in a more like stable country, maybe they would have deported you. I'm sure Colombia had like bigger fish to fry at the time, <laughs> you know. Yeah, with all the guerrilla groups, civil war and yeah. narcos. Right. And, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's like you know I, I told you I lived in Colombia for a little bit, and mm -hmm. that's like the plus and minus of Colombia. Like it's a good thing about Colombia. Like you can just kind of sweet talk your way into places, but the bad part of that is like. It's just not a very functional society, right. <laughs> you know. It's a thorough world country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it worked out for you. Sometimes money, money's a thing. You can bribe your way exactly, in and out. Bro. So, like, I mean, just for example, with the motorcycle, like in Colombia, you don't have to show anything. You just show them your passport, show them a little money, and get mm -hmm. whatever buck you want. But there's yeah. one Canadian. Well, it was a friend of a Canadian guy. He his bike did get dropped in the ocean <laughs> it wasn't on our voyage it was on a different one okay and um he couldn't get out of the country because it's stamped in our passport we brought a motorcycle in you have to take the motorcycle out so he had to hire a crew to dive down to get the motorcycle to pull it out and then he had to crate it and ship it back to canada that was very expensive they wouldn't let him out of the country i wonder if he could just leave illegally like just find a crossing and just you know yeah and you don't never come back again 
That's to a, Columbia. That's a possibility. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's people have done that before. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't do that, but I didn't talk to him directly, so it was just through another one of his friends. <laughs> have you crossed any other borders illegally? No. No? It's okay. I'm not a cop. You can tell me. Not, not illegally, no. Okay. I, um... I imagine, I, you know... I, I, I go to the official border crossing and... Right. So that was just the one time that you, you broke the oh, law. Oh, and, uh, yeah, Columbia. going to Columbia, yeah. Yeah. Dude, even when I was in Montana, it was during COVID, I was in Glacier National Park. You know how it borders the Canadian border? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Canada was really strict about COVID. This was, like, fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, so you can't get into Canada at the time of being an American, mm -hmm. but... There was actually an ex-national park ranger that told me about like all these crossings in Montana, just like little back roads you can mm -hmm. just go to Canada. Mm -hmm. So yeah, going for a little ways, you know. Again, yeah. I remember one time I went up there. It was like the second time that summer I went back into Canada, and I told the uh, immigration officer. Well, they ask you all these questions, and they asked me what your address is, and I told them I don't have an address. Well, they said you can't come in then. <laughs> Should have just made one up. You know? So then I had to uh, talking. Well, I was going in particular going to a, actually Horizons Unlimited motorcycle conference. I wanted to go to, and so I'm I part had, of that Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I had to talk him into letting me in. So I had to, uh, yeah. It took a little while. Yeah. For him to believe me. Those Canadians are kind of strict, bro. They don't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they discriminate against us. They Americans. thought I was one to move in there and get a yeah, job yeah. and stay and. I remember one time I was driving up, and to be fair, I was a single guy. I was in a, a little pickup truck, some middle of bumfuck nowhere, border crossing from Washington to Canada. And they asked me all kinds of questions. They kicked the tires. They checked for right. weed, coke, everything. They yeah. went through my backpack. I had rolling papers in there. They're like, what's the rolling papers for? They were so thorough. Wow. It was fucking terrifying. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those Canadians don't fuck around. Right. Yeah. So after um, you did your round-the-world trip, did you hang out in Nebraska for a while? Did you... Let's see, I went back. Yeah, did for a little bit. And then I was actually going back to school to get a master's. And um, that kind of backfired because my father died. I had, had to go back and sell the farm. So I went back and taught skiing another winter. And then I ended up getting a job leading bicycle tours across country. And that was a fun job. Across got, the U.S.? Yeah. Did that a couple couple summers one was cross country and another one which was an awesome route we started in the grand canyon and went up through 22 national parks up into canada and down the west coast and that was a fun job jesus leading bicycle tour and on camping that. and camping most of the way yeah yeah well we give the clients an option they want to camp or they can find hotels we give them contacts some of them do that too but then you can't matter what right yeah yeah if there were hotels in the town that we um, on our cross-country route, most of the time we stayed in schools using our gymnasium because the school was out, so then we'd hire their school. Oh, that, really? It worked good for the big The tour company That worked really it. good for big groups because we usually had two to 300 bikers on that one, so we needed more bigger facilities. Now, we stayed yeah. at some campgrounds if they were big enough, but the schools worked out good because it was rainy. You could use the gymnasium, and people yeah. could just throw down their mat and... And, uh, well, yeah, a couple yeah. times with tornado and... warnings, they moved us all into the gymnasium. Wow. So, and with all the, yeah, good showers, and it was easy to cook meals. And, of course, we'd, uh, the owner, he would hire a lot of the local groups to service a meal. So it was pretty Sick. cool. It's funny you say that because I did something sort of similar. I was on a cross-country tour with a semi-professional marching band. I did that for a few summers. 
and then I ended up teaching. But we always stay at schools. You stay at like local high schools. If you're lucky, you get a university with like mm -hmm. a nice, you know, lots of nice facilities. Mm -hmm. But it is like being homeless, man. Just like one school to the next, and yeah. it's sleeping on the floor, and yeah. it's not glamorous. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you'd be used to that at that point. You're yep. a yeah. vagabond for what? Yeah. Because when I started my bicycle tour there in Germany, man, I was sleeping out in the corn or out in the fields, the hay fields, and behind hay bales and ditches and stuff like that, just to keep the cost down. But then a lot of locals invited me, and you know, I'd ask if I could just camp out back, like right here in their yard, and they'd, yeah, sure, come on in. I'd even uh, even help out on the farm a little bit, haul <laughs> some bales. So what? You would just walk up, knock on their door, and mm -hmm. say, "Can I stay in your yard?" Yeah, that's cool. And I found the easiest way to get in with people was just to pull out a map on a street corner on the highway and um, and act lost, which I was half the time anyway, when there's windy <laughs> roads, I mean. And they would stop, he needs some help. We get to talk, and before I knew it, they were inviting me into their home. It's like, wow, this is cool. Sick, I stayed by bed a third of the time, I stayed in private homes or camped in their backyard, a third of the time in um, campgrounds, and, and a third of the time free camp. So, nice, nice, dude. That's legendary. I guess, yeah, it probably happens a little less now because everyone's on their phone, right? Like, you can be lost, but you're staring at your phone, so it looks like you're just on Facebook mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. I need to get a map. That's a great fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. That happened to me just a handful of times. I, I, I drove my bike, or sorry, I drove my car across the U.S. It took me six months. Like, Atlanta, uh, I kind of cut across the West, went to Portland, and then I made, like, okay. an L from Portland to L.A. to Atlanta. And on the way, it was... In Montana, I met this family. Similar situation happened. I was like at some trivia night, and they, uh, we just got to talk in and really friendly folks. And they're like, "Where are you staying tonight?" I said, "Oh, well, I don't really have a place. I'm just gonna pitch my tent in this field." And um, yeah, they they let me stay in their uh, in their yard, and it was their it was their B and B. So then when they weren't there, which was most of the time, I could go in and use the shower, use the kitchen, which made all the difference, you know, mm -hmm. from eating fucking canned ravioli mm -hmm. cold to. Yeah bacon and eggs every morning it makes all the difference you know yeah. yeah and overseas it's a lot easier to get invited in as being a foreigner especially getting in an area where they never met an American or maybe not too many Americans I remember one time in France I met uh, I was desperate for food I went into this restaurant it wasn't open and these guys invited me into the bar and I tried to get out my little translation book and explain to them I need food and not alcohol yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh and they just said be patient be patient because they were they had the uh, cook back there preparing me a four-course meal i couldn't believe it and it all came out later like and i ended up partying all day and night with those guys and i woke up the next morning in a home that had dirt floors i was like oh my gosh Where these were friend in france and it was a bunch of french guys and uh, the one guy was just a butcher and he invited me into his home to stay overnight and, and wake up and there's like dirt floors like the, some of the poorest people were the most hospitable oh, they yeah. never met an american and it's like oh my god we were dancing on the table that night. <laughs> oh my gosh and uh and, and it happened every once every once in a while depending where i was at even at yeah. a campground one time met this family from holland yeah, the Netherlands, Holland, and I was going to be passing up through there. He said, "Oh, you got to look us up when you come back when you come up through there in August, and uh, we'll throw you a birthday party." Wow! <laughs> so, this it's a neat and people you meet along the way. We're in the states now. For me, when I went back to the states and traveling, I was kind of expecting more hospitality. Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen because I'm an American. Yeah, they're just I'm used to you. I'm not yeah. unique. I'm not 
you know, I'm yeah. a foreigner. You got to get some face tats, make yourself unique. You know? I guess you and put on out. some foreign stickers, yeah, and start speaking a foreign language. Yeah, yeah, just fake a, yeah. just make up a language or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's funny you say that because, like, I've met, like, Australians or, like, you know, I used to live in Japan and I met all these Japanese people and they would say, like, oh, yeah, Americans are so friendly. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, they're friendly to you because you're, like, a novelty, like, you're interesting, mm-hmm. you're different. But okay. for uh, Americans, yeah. they're just normal people, you know? Of course, times are changing now with the media and the internet and the cell phones. You know, they're they they know how we live. So it's not as um, interesting and unique as it was back in the old days, hmm. especially back in the eighties. Hmm. Before all this. Yeah. Media. See, I don't have perspective on that, but I feel like because even talking to the Irish now, it's like sure you strike up a conversation, but they're not asking me those questions like they would have thirty years ago. Hmm. What were they asking you? Um, back then, yeah. every, everything, and even from, oh, wow, American, we want to hear about what America's like living in, and hmm. et cetera, et cetera. We're out with TV and everything they know. But I wonder if it makes it more interesting because, like, everyone knows American culture, so it's, like, the cool kind of culture. At least the countries I've been to, like, Latin America and especially Japan, like, American culture is very cool to them. Some yeah. of them. Because yeah. we're, like, exporting it, and they can see what we're yeah. up to. and like Especially in Africa. I found that out a lot there. Oh, yeah? And they're like, wow, America. Really? Yeah. With the music and, and of course, uh, yeah, lots of things. Food and business and, and yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So did you find when you were on the road that, like, the poorer people are usually more Hospitable. friendly? Yeah. Rich people are more closed. You know, they want people coming tracking into their home nice homes and yeah yeah even here in ireland like the people are friendly right especially to foreigners mm-hmm. but i found compared to other countries i've been to like especially colombia people are so warm and friendly there mm-hmm. you know and i don't have experience traveling like you do but i don't know like i was in cork city the other day on my motorcycle asking for directions at a stoplight you know i see people do it and mm-hmm. it happens you know oh yeah and i turned to this car i'm like how do i get to blah 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 and the lady is like, what, what? And I try to say it again, and she just, like, gives me a hand and just, like, pulls away, you know? It's kind of Because in the old days, that was very common. We didn't have cell phones. You had to go buy a map, and if you get... I remember one time on a bicycle once in Germany, I ended up going because it was just like this. I didn't know what direction I was going, and the roads are so curvy, like Ireland. Yeah. I was going the wrong 10 miles in the wrong direction before I realized <laughs> And I have to, have to stop often because you get out here in the country and there's not always marked at these intersections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the back roads. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Right. Just pavement. Right. Huh. So you went to Germany, you toured your bike around the world, you toured around the U.S., and then what would you do after that? What year is it at this point? Well, like the bike bicycle tour was in 87, 88, and, I, and then I went back to Easter. Well, okay, when the wall went down, in 90, end of 91, uh, I met a guy in the U.S. said, let's go bike Eastern Europe. And that mm-hmm. was in 1992, in the spring. We flew into London. We took the ferry over to uh, the mainland and started biking across Germany, heading towards uh, Eastern Europe. And we lost each other one day. <laughs> and as before cell phones, we couldn't find each other. And, I mean, he was faster than me, so he'd always go ahead, but he'd wait at the entrance of the next town. I'd come to the next town there one day. It was only like the second or third day into the trip, and he wasn't there. So <laughs> then I biked back looking for him, and the only thing we could figure out, we spent the rest of the day until dark looking for each other. We just never crossed paths. We must have been doing this. Yeah. And uh, Well, they say when you're lost, you're supposed we, to just stay put. Yeah. 
and maybe that's what each of us kind of made a mistake. Doing. But you found him? No, I never did find him again. And we both went to the police trying to get a connection, and I stayed with a family at that town and then went back to the police, and they had never heard from him. And so apparently it was different policemen and didn't, didn't get their connections. So we end up doing Eastern Europe on our own. <laughs> so here I am by myself again. But I end up just, and he did the same thing. He did a lot of the similar route that I did, but we just never crossed paths. It was weird. But you must have found him at some point because you knew what he was up to. No, it didn't happen until like one or two years later when we met back at the ski area because he was a fellow ski instructor and we talked about it. How was that? Re dude, I bet if, if that was me and I saw my friend, I'd be like, dude, where the fuck did you go? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and we still don't know exactly the reason why, but we just figured, yeah, I went. He had taken a break in the woods and I went right on by. I was probably not that far behind him. Because usually he had time to go in the woods and come back, and he'd wait out the wait on the highway for me. Yeah. But he didn't leave his bike out there. That was supposed to be uh, kind yeah. of the landmark. And uh, I must have went past him, and then he went back looking for me, and then I went back out, and we were just doing one of these. Dude, <laughs> that's all we that's all we can figure out. It's just a guess. Damn. Yeah, and, and you were in like not like the most, I guess. Like that's that must have been like a mysterious part of the world at that time, you know, the Iron Curtain and like lots of secrecy. Yeah, and you're alone. As soon as I got across Western, got to um, Berlin, and going across, and the, the old wall was still there. It's just the gate was down, the the highways open to go through. And what a culture shock going from Western Europe to Eastern Europe, mm. and then and there were parts you had to be real careful because of some of the gangs or I don't know what they what they called like them mafia. back then. Yeah, I had to watch out for in Eastern Europe, let alone in other countries over there too. Mm. And, you know, the roads, and it was just like going in a third world country. Wow. But, you know, when I did find some people that speak English, now there was, the ones, people that were educated were really excited because they could do free enterprise. But then, you know, the poor people who lost their jobs, they were, they liked the old system better. Right. They had consistent work and a little bit of food to survive on. But you notice, like in general, there are poorer countries yeah, there. Because oh I mean, the Soviets you could, took all, you could, you could, everything from those countries, yeah. right? They were robbing them blind yeah. the whole time. And so I went across Eastern Europe, went into Poland. I tried to get into Russia, but you still had to have a, a invitation to even get a visa to get in. I went to three border crossings, and they wouldn't let me in. So I did a mm. loop of Poland, and went down to Hungary and Czechoslovakia at that time, and Romania, and and then I went back to Garmisch, Germany, where I used to work. Yeah, and I. Went in to visit my friends, and they said, there was a guy here a couple weeks ago looking for you. Was it the... <laughs> that was the guy oh, that no. was going to be my partner. Because <laughs> the only... The, we never exchanged addresses or how to even really get a hold of each other. We got, <laughs> did get lost, except Damn, that I dude. mentioned to him at the end of my trip, I'm going to go back and visit Garmisch, Germany. And that's the only thing he knew. So he so must he have went finished before there, you. Garmisch, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I pull into Garmisch, Germany, and, and what's funny is my old sports director job was open. I end up taking it and staying for three more years. <laughs> wow. So that was like your home base while you were kind yeah. of... Yeah, it's just wow. gorgeous down there. It's right on the Austria border. The Bavarian Alps are just spectacular. Oh, gosh. Sights and, and mountain biking and hiking. And... Why did you decide to go to Eastern Europe? Because I feel like as an American, most sane normal people would be like oh well they probably don't like westerners they're probably hostile to americans especially some you know? were i had to watch out in poland even i was advised by some people if you go through here 
be don't stop for anybody, and uh, hopefully you can outrun them or put your bike in the back of a truck on the back of a truck or something and get through certain areas, or change route. Um, but uh, no, I've already done all the countries of Western Europe, so I was ready to explore Eastern Europe. Right. You just didn't care that it was potentially dangerous. Well, it wasn't. There were certain areas you had to watch out for, just like in Colombia or like in mm -hmm. South America. It wasn't that bad though. Wow. This so, is funny because I mean I wasn't alive. During, I was born in '93, right? So I was kind of like post all this stuff mm -hmm. collapsing, but. Just from what I've seen, it seemed like there was a lot of propaganda and, like, mm -hmm. Americans were convinced that, like, these are the bad guys, you know? You know, yeah, in the country, they're hardworking, good people, just like mm -hmm. here. Yeah. And near the cities, in the cities. I remember going through Berlin. I, I caught a holiday when I went through, so there was hardly any traffic, so it was fun nice. riding through. And, uh, but again, when I got to east, got in the eastern side, I had to be, you know, keep an eye out there. There were people just hanging out. Probably waiting to rob somebody. And yeah, yeah. I was lucky I didn't get knocked down and wow. stolen, but uh, but out in the country. That's so cool. You were out there during that time. Though. That's like very historic. Like it just opened yeah, up and right. like this huge half of a yeah. continent, basically. Right. I mean, I guess the only equivalent today would be like Venezuela or something, just like opening its borders. Well, in a know? way, it was kind of like Colombia, because when I was there in Colombia in 2003, when I arrived there, and they had four guerrilla groups still active. And uh, in 2002, just a year prior, even the locals said they couldn't even get down through Colombia, down to the Ecuador border, Jesus. without police escort. So, and the president, I think it was his brother, brother got killed by a gorilla, so he was ticked off, and he was hiring anybody that wanted to work for the work for him for the US, for their military, and they were lining up the military every couple miles along the principal route. So people get through, and this one Canadian guy was advised not to go through. But he says, if they're lining up military guys, I can make it through. Yeah, and yeah. He was one of the first guys to ever make it through, and he emailed me. He says, "Do not bypass Colombia, because we're all because the the normal route was to fly your bike from Panama to Ecuador." Mm. And uh, he said, "The Colombia, the people are so friendly. Oh, they're the best. Yeah." He says, "Don't bypass Colombia." So. Yeah, oh, they're the best. Yeah, they're the greatest, man. Yeah. Wow. So have you done any similar tours, like like a country is closed and then it opens, like Myanmar or like, uh, I don't even know what... Oh, well, Afri now. Africa, when I was down there, I couldn't get into some of the... Uh, one, Angolia was closed um, when I got up to the Ethiopia border. Actually, I could have got in, but they advised me not to go. To where? Ethiopia. It was too dangerous to go through. There was some warfare going on in certain regions there. Yeah, yeah. Right. In fact, it was pretty close to Kenya because some people were, were getting pushed over into Kenya, um, the good people. Jeez. But I was thinking about uh, the tours. My uh, motorcycle tour started in 2002, and I rode from, from actually Iowa up to Alaska, stayed over winter, and then got on the bike and rode all the way down to the end of the world in Ushuaia, Argentina. Mm-hmm. End of the road, and I did that for two years, 2003, 2004. Spent like a month in each country on the average, and took my time, and ended up down there in December, the middle of their summer, and uh, met up with a whole bunch of others, and it was a big party in wow. the end of the road. You got some balls, dude. <laughs> you did that on a bicycle? This was on a motorcycle. Oh, That's right, you said that. Started in 2002, and it was just awesome. It was a great trip. Why did you second um, best trip? Why did you switch from uh, what was your best trip? A bicycle tour around the world because mm. it was uh, such an eye opener. It was my first trip, and I was actually 
my one of my purposes was to do something on my own because I grew up in team sports and I was always around other people and I actually started off on that bike trip I did start out with a couple partners but we were weren't going to stay together because they were only on it, on it for a short time mm -hmm. but it was great to go on my own just to do something on my own for a change and explore and when you're on your own it's easier to get in with the locals too oh yeah then you're forced to learn their culture and language right and you don't have someone like a buffer like if you have a partner you're always talking to your partner and not reaching out to the locals as much yeah. when you're alone right you're just forced you to reach to. out to the locals yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to get food, you want to get this and that, you have to. Especially if you don't speak the language. Yeah. So each country I go into, I learn four basic words to get started. And then and if, like, Poland, for example, or other countries, I have, I don't have a translation book. I, I write down, I have written down all these words I need translated. As soon as I find somebody that speaks English, I have them translate it for me, so at least I can introduce myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when you try to speak their language, it's easier to get in. Mm -hmm, of course. I mean, today it's changing now with the people wanting to practice English on us more and more. But uh, yeah. but back then. Yeah. But I mean, either way, like, even if someone does speak English, I think knowing the language gets you brownie points. Yeah, especially yeah. out in the country. Yeah, and, and some of the older folks. People are just cooler if you try to speak it, at right. least, you know. Yeah, especially the traditionalists. Yeah, and like you just have more unique experiences, you know. Like if mm -hmm. you're in a city, you can get by okay with English, but like. How different our cities really? You know, but in like a small you town. Them. Well, I mean, the locals are speaking speaking French, or all speaking their native language. Mm -hmm. So if you can get in with them, you know a little bit. It's a lot easier to get in with them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was told that down in down in um, Tanzania because I'd spent three, five, six months there, and one guy says, "You need to learn Swahili." And that's a tough one to learn, though, in a short time. Yeah, five months though. That's not that short, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's at that point you kind of do need to learn it. I think. Even, I mean, like, when I moved to Japan, I was convinced, like, oh, I don't need English. Like, it's Japan. It's developed. People know English. But, nah, bro. Like, <laughs> Well, learning a few basic phrases. Yeah. yeah. Actually, so I did in Swahili. I learned a few words. So, But most of them, um, they wanted to practice their English on me anyway. Yeah. It's kind of like it was in the old days with French and German. And yeah, yeah. Even living in Germany, I didn't speak German fluently because, and I worked, and I worked with a lot of the civilians that spoke German, but they wanted to practice their English on me, yeah. even when I was working. <laughs> Why did you switch from uh, motor, uh, bike travel to motorcycle travel? Um, it was that uh, year of 2002, I was going to bike up to Alaska, um, and I was going to hook up with another guy, but he wasn't even back in the U.S. yet, so, and I couldn't find anybody to go with, and I wasn't going to bike all the way up through Canada on my own, because yeah. by the time you get there, it's already fall going to winter i wouldn't have time to enjoy alaska so i thought you know what i'm going to change it up i'm going to buy a motorcycle and try something different just go faster but thing is i only could go 30 miles an hour because i was so used to going so slow i kept missing oh man i missed that i got to turn around and go back oh, and look yeah. at it like your brain's not ready to process it's, it exactly fast. not going that fast plus i was new it's the first time i've ever uh owned a motorcycle so i was going slow to start out with of course yeah you can't fuck run, around learn how to run the thing and avoiding the bears on the highway and <laughs> <laughs> camping along the way yeah. and uh yeah so then i was able to get up to alaska in a month i was able to bike all the paved roads in alaska for yeah. the rest of the summer another month and, oh uh, so you, you got a bike up in alaska like no, a bicycle I, no are oh, you saying I you on the motorcycle all on the motorcycle yeah uh, yeah how does it compare? Like, how much faster can you, like, for example, Iowa, you said you started mm -hmm. to Alaska. How long would that take you on a bicycle, and how long did it take you on a Whew. motorcycle? Three to three and a half um, 
well, a little over 3,000 miles, and it would take all summer three months to get up there on the bicycle, where the motorcycle is up there in a month and a half. Wow. So. Yeah. But I feel like you're not taking in as much on the motorcycle. Like yesterday, I went on like exactly. a scenic ride around because here. Because it's noisy. It scares the animals away, so I miss a lot of sight. Well, also, like, you can't... You have less room for error on the motorcycle. You're going so much faster. Uh, if you hit a pothole, if you're looking at the fucking tree over I here and there's a pothole. That's why like, I go slow. I'm going 25 to 30 miles an hour. Like you don't take highways 50 here? 50 kilometers. Huh? You don't take highways here? Here? You're talking about? Or Just anywhere. Was, anywhere? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll take a highway or like a freeway if it's a boring stretch. Right. Where there's nothing to look at, then I can focus on the road. Yeah, but, but I mean, even I'm, on like the low, the smaller I'm, roads here, you can go 80 going, kilometers. See, I don't. I go slow. I'm because I want to see here. the sights. Yeah, and if there's a car behind me, I try to move over as much as I can so they can get by. Or I'll wait to an intersection and then I wave them by. Mm. I need to start doing that because yesterday I was on this ride, man, and I just feel like I was not taking stuff in. I was going way too fast. Yeah. You know? See, if I'm going like 30, 50 k's, 30 miles an hour, I can look around, still peripheral vision, see the road, okay, and I can see yeah. all the sights, and I can turn my head side to side. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I travel. Hmm. I never go over, hardly ever go over 80 kilometers or 50 miles an hour. And that's really? on open highways. I'm not talking about not freeways, but like highways where the traffic's going 100 kilometers an hour. I mean, yeah. um, I still don't go over 80. Because, but I mean, even that in itself is kind of dangerous. Because sometimes like... there's stuff to see. Plus, I'm not wearing all these pads and everything. I don't want to go too fast. Of course, yeah. of course even 80, I'm going to get hurt going down anyway. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. But I feel like I can see... A lot better going 80 or less, not kilometers, 50 miles an hour or less. I can yeah. see a lot better, and, and, and well, if I have to stop suddenly, I can do it at mm -hmm. 50. If I go over that, then I'm yeah. more risky for me at my age. So have you taken a bicycle tour ever since you got you got the motorcycle? You started motorcycle touring? Yep, 2002. I've been doing tours ever since. You know, across the U.S. like five times. On a bicycle? Crossways and up and down. I did the whole perimeter of the U.S., yeah. Bicycle and motorcycle. Uh, so you you kind of like switch back and forth these days. Well, I didn't do, like again those first ten years were by bicycle, and now the last well, actually almost twenty years now, yeah, twenty twenty two two thousand two last twenty years been on motorcycle. Oh, you ha so you haven't gone back to the bicycle since? Not for touring. Uh, Free riding. If I like here, I've been riding riding Martin's fun. bike for fun, just for exercise. Yeah. But not to tour on. Why not? Why what I would like to bike? go back. I'd like to get an e-bike now. Mm -hmm. I found out e-bikes are cheaper over here because I originally wanted to buy an e-bike in the USA, but they're like three, four thousand dollars, and for that I can buy a motorcycle. A nice motorcycle. Yeah, and yeah. it's even I feel safer on the motorcycle because I can keep up with the traffic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but now I found out in Poland I can get one for one thousand. I thought, man, after I do my motorcycle tour, I could sell my motorcycle, get an e-bike, and then I can do I don't know which bike trails I can get on, but like doing the Danube River and there's certain areas that I can bike and. Mm. So have you not gone back to the bicycle just because of your age, or like why do you, have you not switched back? Um, good question. Let's see. Oh, I just kind of fall in love with the motorcycle. Yeah. What do you like about it? But is uh, I can cover distance and it's safer with the traffic because if I get in a lot of traffic, I can just keep up with them and not have to worry about getting run over like a bicycle because in argentina i my first trip was on a bicycle down there it was on a recumbent bicycle these laid back bicycles mm. with your feet up and i was getting sideswiped so many times and almost getting hit i put an extension out a stick 
with a flag hanging on it three feet out. So they had to hit that before they'd hit me at least. Wow. And because down there, it's kind of like Africa, bikers don't belong on the road. They belong off the road or up on the bank next to the fence on the other side of the ditch. Jesus. But I noticed something though, with, because of my recumbent, they never seen that before. It was one of the first recumbents to be in Argentina and Chile that the truckers, once it got up to me, whoa, this is not a local guy. And it's like they were kind of like, they were going so fast or they couldn't slow down so they didn't have a choice but to almost almost hit me Jesus Christ. push me right off the road but with that extension with the flag hanging there that helped a lot so they would see that and, yeah because they don't want to get their car messed up yeah you know well the truckers they don't care but uh, but still they didn't realize they didn't want to hit me yeah. they didn't want to hit anybody but yeah but they're 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 carrying their speed and they when there's oncoming traffic. I mean, when I was and that in, wind from the truck just knocks you right ooh, off. Oh yeah, on the bicycle it sucks you right in, almost underneath the wheels. My goodness, Jesus! I've had some close calls there. Yeah. So out of all the traveling you've done, you you've never mentioned a car. Why do you just do bikes and, and motorcycles? I love bikes. I, I I actually get car sick in a car because you can't lean into the turn. So my head is not equilibrium is not balanced mm. in a car. It's straight. So when you're getting jerked around in the car, oh, a little bit, not that bad, yeah, but yeah. a little bit, just that little bit of movement, I get car sick pretty easy. I get seasick real easy too. Mm. In my older age, I never used to bother me when I was young, but mm -hmm. but in the motorcycle, I never never feel motion sickness. Yeah. And a bicycle, I love because you're going slower, so you really can see all the sights. So that's why the e-bike does excite me. Yeah, because e-bike's like that nice kind of middle ground between bike and motorcycle. Yeah. You can like, it's, I think it tops out at like 30 miles an hour. I've heard the throttle ones do, yeah. But there's a limitation; you can't ride on all the bike paths over here in Europe 